Genesis 11, verse 1. And I actually have a, we actually have a couple people in the um, living room with me this evening. So that's why I'm kind of, I'm, I'm awkwardly looking at the camera and then thinking I need to make some eye contact. So you just have to kind of bear with me. Um, I like having somebody to talk to, but then I feel like I'm supposed to be looking at the camera all the time and never making eye contact. So anyway, Genesis 11, verse 1. I want to just kind of share with you a little bit um, something I feel like the Lord just kind of directed me to this afternoon. Genesis 11 and 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to, the, to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this and this they began to do and no and now nothing no thing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do go to let us go down and there confound their speech confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech so the lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. I, I've used this passage a number of times in the past and used it in the sense of if you sort of look at the opposite side of this coin, it was stated here that in this context it was a negative thing, that they were all one, they spoke one language, they had their mind set to do something, and the Lord says because they're in unity, they're in one mind, they're in one accord, they can accomplish whatever they want. And so in this context, it wasn't something he wanted them to accomplish, and so he wanted to disrupt that. But I believe there is a positive application of this, that if we as a body can learn to speak the same language and be in unity, then the same thing applies to us, that there's no limit to what God can do. And I've used this passage a number of times from that context, but I, I want to use it a little bit differently here this evening. Again, they were all gathered together. They had one language. They all spoke the same language. They were all together speaking the same language and they were building, they said that they were building this tower and, and the, their purpose was to, to keep them together. But the Lord comes down and wants to scatter them. And so the way that he scatters them is by confounding their language. 
so that they can't understand one another's speech. And I believe this is the explanation of the origin of languages. This is why and how we got all the languages we now have. It was God's way of scattering a people that were in one mind, one accord, and spoke the same language. And so it says, therefore, the name of it is called Babel. The word Babel, in essence, means confusion. And so God comes down and, and causes them to not be able to communicate and understand one another. And as a result of that, they are scattered. And no doubt they are scattered and then begin to um, uh, collect up into language groups where they can understand each other. I don't know if God separated families from each other. I would, I would assume that maybe a, a, you know, a household all spoke the same language, but amongst households, different languages were given. It kind of reminds me of a crowd breaker we've done sometimes through the years where uh, you know you, you got a big group of people and everybody's given a, um, like a, an animal sound. And there's, you know, five or six animal sounds and everybody's got to start making the sound of that animal. And you got to find the other people in the group that make the same sound as you and you all get together. And uh, but this wasn't just animal sounds. This was actual language. Uh, but I, I think that's a little bit what this was like. And and so he, here's kind of a, a basic, I guess, point that what I kind of feel here this evening or one of the main points you associate with who you can communicate with you associate with who you can communicate with or let me let me say this another way and i don't mean this in the literal sense of language but you associate with those that you can speak the same language with or Say it another way, you associate with those that you can talk about the same things with. And there is, there is positives and negatives to that. If you're speaking a language of faith and the Word of God and truth, and that's who you're associating with, then it's going to take you in a good direction. But if you're learning how to communicate with those that are not speaking truth in the context of the Word of God, that are... Uh, that their conversations are caught up in things and ways and lifestyles that are contrary, then associating with them is a negative thing. I think we've all had the experience, and I can't think of it specific off, a specific one off the top of my head, but I, I, know in, I know I've had this experience in being with a group of people where there was a couple of people in that group that had some kind of uh, they had something in common. Maybe it was their job. I mean, the, the military is one. You get in a group of people, you got a couple of guys that are, that are or were in the military, and then everybody else is civilians. Those guys in the military, kind of no matter what branch of the military, they know how to speak a language. There, there's a language they have, and if you're not in the know on that, you can kind of you just smile and nod. You know, you act like you know what. Yeah, uh huh. What do they mean? What are they saying? And, and there's other technical settings, you know, you, you, you've got some kind of field that somebody works in and, and, you know, the couple of people get together that know that and you kind of feel like an outsider. Um, 
because you don't know how to communicate and, and so you're uncomfortable associating. And, and I, think it's, I think it's so critical for us, young, old, and everything in between, <laughs> that, we are, that we are cautious about who we communicate with, who we know how to communicate with. It's kind of sad sometimes when you get around a group of believers and some of them, the thing they're most comfortable talking about is, is the latest happenings in the world, whether that's anything from politics to entertainment to sports or all kinds of other stuff. Those are just kind of some primary categories. They know how to speak the same language. They know how to talk about, oh, well, have you watched this book? Yeah, well, what about this one? Yeah, have you, have you, heard, have you watched this game or are or, or, uh, you following this team? Or, or um, you know, have you heard this group? Have you listened to this group? Have you heard this person? And again, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a setting in which uh, it, it's, it's things that were, are, are in alignment with the Word of God, great. But if it's not, and you begin to associate, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're basically gonna become like who you hang out with the most. <laughs> and uh, I, I want you to listen to this. I, I this um, actually, I think yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during Brother Shelton's session, I, I happened to read this verse as he was ministering, and really wasn't. Well, of course, I didn't know I'd be ministering in this way today, but. I think I just kind of jotted it down in my notes as a reminder to, to look at later, and it came back to me this afternoon. Exodus, Exodus 12 and verse 38 says this. And I want you to get the, the context of this is this, this chapter, actually, they are just coming out of Egypt. The children of Israel are just coming out of Egypt. And verse number 38 says this, and a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds even much cattle a mixed multitude meaning the group that came out of Egypt was not just Israelites who in the context of debt today they are symbolic of the church so I'm going to say it this way in, in typology, it wasn't just save, sanctified, dedicated people who came out of Egypt. There was a mixed multitude. The Message Bible, which has a tendency to uh, say things uh, a, a little, little plainer, um, it says the Israelites moved on from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 on foot besides their dependents. So it's about coming out of Egypt was about 600,000 men plus women and children. There was also, and here, let's, let's, again, King James says there was a mixed multitude, but listen to what the Message Bible says. And again, I don't put a whole lot of reliance on the Message Bible when it comes to fundamental doctrines and things like that. But in some of these types of situations, it just kind of has a unique way and a plain way of saying some things. There was also a crowd of riffraff tagging along. 
not to mention the large flocks and herds of livestock. There was a crowd of riffraff tagging along. So just because they came out of Egypt with the Israelites did not mean they were fully committed to walking with God. The thing that's interesting to me, and I, I don't know, it doesn't really, to my knowledge, it doesn't really say, I, I don't know how much they participated in uh, applying the blood to the doorpost, the Passover, all. I, I don't know how much, but somehow they came out, which means they came through the Red Sea. They came through the Red Sea, which to us is symbolic of baptism. So here's the point in, in, in what to me this represents to us. Just because a person gets baptized, just because a person goes through the waters of baptism doesn't mean, and I'll use the term we've been using in the last couple of years, doesn't mean they're all in. Doesn't mean they're sold out. And that's part of the reason why, and, and in all honesty, I'll just go ahead and put it this way. The context, if you if you just sit in here tonight, well, he's talking about sinners, talking about the world. We need to be careful. No, I'm not. Actually, to be honest, that's not really the big focus of this. No, I'm not here trying to communicate or promote a judgmental attitude. Not at all. <laughs> But you know what? Your salvation is the most important thing in your life to protect. And I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to become critical of anyone. I don't want that. But neither do I have to just let my guard down with everyone and fully embrace every attitude, action, conversation. In fact, one of the most challenging things I think we all probably go through at some point to, a, to varying degrees is the fact if we're not careful, we can get a little bit disillusioned by the fact, wait a minute, I thought they were saved. And look at, listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're talking about. Listen, listen to the language that's coming out. They came through the Red Sea. They were baptized. And if we're not careful, we can, we can let that get to us. There's one other place, uh, at least one other. I, I don't remember if it's the only other, but there's another place where this idea of a mixed multitude and really it's referring to this same scenario is mentioned, and that's in Numbers chapter 11. And in, in this setting, it says the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? So this is the this is the setting in which the children of Israel are now starting to get a little bit uh, unhappy with what their circumstances are. Why did we leave Egypt? Why did we come out? I mean, we, we, at least back in Egypt, we had leeks and garlics and we had flesh to eat. We, we were able to eat meat. And now the only thing we're eating is uh, manna that comes from heaven. That struggle started from the mixed multitude. That complaining that the children of Israel, who weren't necessarily in the mixed multitude, started doing the complaining, 
it, that didn't come from the world. That didn't come from the outside. It didn't come from the devil. That came from a group that, that appeared to be the saved group. And uh, in, a, in a few minutes, we're going to come back to Numbers 11, and, and a couple of verses before this verse is, is very significant of some actions that God took towards the children of Israel. They, they fell a-lusting. And I'm going to say this, I believe, again, using this as, as a typology for us as the church today, I believe God intentionally allows there to be a mixed multitude in the church. And in fact, I think in this context, there will always be a mixed multitude. In fact, I think I could say the only time there won't be a mixed multitude is when we get to heaven. Until then, there will be a mixed multitude. And the danger of that is, if I'm not careful, I can become comfortable with those that are in the griping, complaining, talking another language group and learn how to speak that language and become associated with them. You know, if you been in any of the services or watching online the last couple of weeks, I've been very honest about a few things that have that I'm I'm struggling with. And to, I think some of those things you 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 possibly could judge them as just it's my flesh, but actually I am more and more convinced that it's not just my flesh, but it's actually been God stirring some things in me. And I say that partly because of some of the things that were ministered yesterday from Brother Shelton. Uh, in fact, I think there's some things, again, that I've just kind of thought was just my flesh, agitation in my flesh, but I, I think now it's been God stirring me. And so the bottom line is this, though. This is not the only area. Um, I, I'm not going to say too much. If, if, if you were there, then you'll have an understanding yesterday. And I'm not trying to say that to punish those that weren't. I just, um, I'm, I'm not getting into all that online. So you'll, if you weren't there, hopefully you'll understand that after my email. But there, there's some other areas where I am, I have been more and more stirred in these last several weeks and months. And this is, this is one of those. I've said it several times now in one form or the other. I am so disturbed and I think getting sick and tired of voices not in the world, but in the multitude, in the church, that are trying to say that all kinds of different things are really not that big of a deal. They're okay. That, you know, well, the, the church and religious tradition has made a big deal out of things that aren't really a big deal. And, and I got to tell you, I've been, I think I've been kind of silent on some things, not everything, but some things. And I just feel more and more of a stirring in my spirit because part of my responsibility is to be a watchman on the wall. 
and to call out some things as uncomfortable as it may be. And, and, and there is this idea that's creeping in that, you know, wait a minute, there's people amongst us that, and I mean this figuratively basically, but they speak another language. You know, yeah, we got this group amongst us that are, you know, they're kind of the fanatical ones. They're the ones that are sold out. They're the ones that are a little bit extra. And I got to tell you, I really hope I would be considered in that group. But then we've got some that are kind of in the middle and they're looking at that, but then they're looking at the other side. And if you're not careful, you're going to start learning how to speak the language of the mixed crowd rather than the fanatical crowd. And I'm, I'm going to get there in a minute. You'll just have to hold off. But I, I'm going to show you in a minute why that's that's a a dangerous place to be. Paul said this in Ephesians 4:29, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers." Let no, not 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 he didn't say, let most of your communication not be corrupt. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The Amplified says it this way, let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and the occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace God's favor to those who hear it. Message Bible, watch the way you talk. Watch the way you talk. And I think that ought to be applied in every aspect from the, the idea of the, the, the words you use, the type of words you use, all the way to the, to the sort of the topics and the language in a figurative sense that you speak. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. Lastly, the New Living Translation. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Don't use foul or abusive language. And uh, I, I know it'd be really nice, this nice, beautiful, snowy evening. We've got our, our, um, our hanging lights out back. I turned them on right before dark because I figured it would be really pretty out there with the snow falling and on the ground and those lights and and it is and uh you know it's a nice peaceful looking evening if you're looking outside and so i'm sure you would just love for me to just be uh you know all fluff if you need some fluff then when we're done go outside and fluff some snow in the air but uh, i'm not i'm not here for fluff <laughs> and uh you know it i'm just gonna i'm gonna hopefully this is not flesh that is the Holy Ghost. But I got to tell you, I, I, I'm a little bit troubled by, in a very practical sense, some of the language that becomes more and more common amongst us. I'll just, I'll give you one example. And if you want to, 
you want to write me off as old fashioned, you know, well, you're almost 50 years old, you're just, and you do that. Go ahead and use the mixed multitude. Go ahead and use the others to be your justification. But you know, I, I was, uh, I, I was, I was, and, I'm, you, and you can snicker at me if you want to, but this is how ingrained it was in me. I, I was, I was, for me, the word C-R-A-P was pretty much on the same level as the other word. And it, it blows my mind how common that word has become amongst so many of us. All right, Brother Wright, you're getting critical, you're getting judgmental. Oh, I just need to keep my mouth shut like everybody else. Or, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel like there's a new me that's kind of emerging lately. Hopefully that's a God thing. <laughs> there's a number of other ones. Why? Somebody, please, I would love for you to help me. And, you know, call me, text me, email me make an appointment, please help me understand why it's okay for us to get closer and closer to the edge. Why are we not wanting to get closer and closer to the center? Why are we wanting to, wait a minute, there's a mixed crowd here. You mean I, I don't have to be sold out like this group. I can... I'm not going to get into, I'm not here for some kind of meticulous debate here on, on all of this in, as far as the typology of it. But again, this group came out of Egypt with the children of it. So in essence, there was a degree to which they came out of the world. However, it wasn't that long that they're already started complaining and wanting to go back. And then some children of Israel that shouldn't have been in the mixed multitude, they're the ones that start griping and complaining. Maybe it was because too many people were associating with that crowd speaking the same language. Let, let, don't, don't use foul or abusive language. I'm on the soapbox, I'm going to stay on it. It, 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 is, it amazes me how commonly accepted euphemisms have become in 2021, the last couple of years, really. It, it, it amazes me. And, 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 and I'm going to get to this in a few minutes also, why I think there's some danger in that. Brother Wright, you sure are being nitpicky tonight, aren't you? I don't know, maybe if you listen, maybe for those of you that were there yesterday, and then if you weren't there, once you're able to listen, and again, I, I, none of this is, in, if that part is not intended to slight any of you that weren't there, because as I said, a bunch of you, I know you had very, very valid reasons that I support why you weren't able to be there, so please, I'm not trying to slight you by saying any saying it that way. But there, there was some things we were, we were not only challenged, but warned yesterday by the Spirit. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be too close to that edge. I don't want to be living on the edge where there's no room to fall. I want, I want to live far enough away from the edge that when, not if, but when I fall, 
I'm not, I'm not falling over the edge. I'm, I'm one of those guys, if I'm on a, if I'm, if I'm standing at a thousand foot cliff or if I'm at the edge of the Grand Canyon, or if I'm at the Grand Canyon, which I've been to twice, I, I, I'm not up at the edge, leaning over, looking down. I'm far enough back from the edge that if I happen to lose my fit footing and go down, I got plenty of room to fall and be safe. I, I don't understand why in our walk with God, we want to constantly live so close to the edge. You will fall because a righteous man falls. Not the ungodly man. A righteous man falls seven times. That's not an exact... It's not intended to be an exact, oh, I just fell, one, just fell, two, no. To me, what that's saying is you're going to fall, and you're going to fall a lot. So don't be so close to the edge that when you fall, there's no room to still be safe. So here's back to Numbers 11, verse 1. So I read to you, and I'll read it again quickly, verse 4. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? It was, it was the mixed multitude whose language started affecting those that were trying to figure out a way to live kind of in between these two sides. Verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. The New Century Version says it this way, Now the people complained to the Lord about their troubles, and when he heard them, he became angry. Then fire from the Lord burned among the people at the edge of the camp. So those that were trying, yeah, I, I, I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of the children of Israel, but I don't want to be in the middle of it. I don't want to be one of those that's so sold out, you, you make fun of me, you call me a fanatic. I, I, I want to be a part, but I, I want to be on the fringe. I want to be on the edge. And it was the people that were living, trying to live on the edge, on the fringe, that when the judgment came and the fire fell, they were the ones that were consumed. Again, not those that were in the nucleus, in the core of the children of Israel. Those that were trying to figure out a way, how, how can I be in the church? How can I be connected to the children of Israel? But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fringe of it all. And judgment came and they were consumed. G.K. Chesterton, I believe he was an Englishman, made this statement. Don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. Don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. In the last several decades especially, the enemy has been battling the church to take a bunch of fences down. Ah, uh, we don't need this fence. We don't, we don't need 
this fence of doctrine. We don't need this fence of separation. We don't need all these fences. And some have fallen prey to that and started taking down some fences. The problem is this. The devil is never content with the area of your life that you willingly give up to him. The more you give up, the more he wants to control. Really, it's kind of like God. God wants every part of you. He wants all of me, a living sacrifice. The enemy's the same way. Except in some ways, the enemy is a little more aggressive with trying to take the territory. God's more so waiting on us to surrender it, but the enemy, he's, he's not satisfied. If, if you have, and I've, I've referenced the house we lived in years ago when our kids were all pretty small and there was a fence in the backyard, but... You know, if you have a if you have property, if you have a house that the entire uh, edge of your property is fenced in, you you oftentimes you put that fence away from the house to maximize the space. Ultimately, there's something kind of in the middle of all of that, that you're trying to protect, but you don't put the fence right next to what you're trying to protect. It's kind of like you know going to the zoo. <laughs> you don't. There, there's a, there's a, the lions, the, the Washington Zoo. There's a, there's a, almost like a moat. <laughs> there's, there's a good distance of water. There's a wall, and then there's water in between the land where the lions are because it's keeping space. There's, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm okay to not be right next to them. That if they happen to jump the fence, here we are face to face. And, and, and we try to live with, with the least amount of protection. The problem is the devil doesn't want you to just take the fence down. Next thing you know, he's going to be wanting to set up camp in your yard. But then after setting up camp in your yard for a while, that's not good enough. He's going to try to figure out some way to move in the house with you. And... There's some very precious, valuable things that are at risk in the body of Christ today. And the reason those things are at risk is because there's some fences that we didn't understand why they were put there. I'll give you an example. I taught on this a couple of years ago. I used a, a ball of yarn to demonstrate, try to demonstrate this. There's, there's nobody, I think I could pretty much say this is an absolute I'll at least rephrase it this way. There's no one I've ever heard of who believed in baptism in Jesus' name, one God, who ever initially compromised that. Almost without fail. Let me tell you where it starts. Almost without fail. The people that may reach the point of believing, well, you don't necessarily have to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved or you know, one God, three, whatever, does it really matter? I'll tell you where that usually starts. It usually starts with a fence called separation. There's this fence called separation from the world that there's a lot of people that look at that fence and don't know why it's put there. It's not ultimately put there because of why you think. It's put there because there's some... There's some valuable, precious things 
that are being protected. And here's what's interesting. I've seen this time and time again in the last 25 to 30 years of my adult life. People will start to take down the fence of separation and tell you, though, oh, of course, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's only one God. I'll never change that. And I've watched time and time and time and time again. No, initially, they took down that fence of separation and they still believed. But then there were some other fences they took down and other fences. And then they finally reached the point. People that one point preached that you had to be born again to be saved that will now tell you, ah, just accept the Lord. Why? Because there was some, there was some things that were protection. And we started eliminating them. So, as I close this evening, who, who, who do you speak the same language with? Who are you associating with because you're able to talk the same thing? You're able to talk the same way. You're able to all use your euphemisms and nobody's uncomfortable. You're able to talk about inappropriate things and nobody's uncomfortable. I want to be careful because that might be drawing you further and further to the perimeter because that's where the mixed multitude hangs out. The mixed multitude doesn't hang out at the altar. The mixed multitude are not the ones that at the end of service when everybody's done, they're, they're, the, the mixed multitude's not still at the altar, still praying. The mixed multitudes, they, they don't usually separate themselves for additional times of prayer and pursuing God. They're, they don't do that. What language do you speak? Who do you associate with? What direction is it taking you? There are so many people who thought, I'll, I'll only compromise this. I'll, I won't go beyond that. But every time you take down a fence, every time you eliminate some protection, again, the enemy is not satisfied. I've said this many times, there's no person who ever thought, you know what, I want to become a drug addict. I want to ruin my life with drugs. Or I want to become a gambling addict and I want my family, I want to destroy my family by a gambling addict. Nobody ever thought that. Nobody ever set out on that path. The enemy's not content with you on the perimeter. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God wants you in the interior and the enemy wants you in the interior just in his interior. <laughs> Father, once again, this day has been much different than I thought it was going to be. We had other ideas and thoughts and expectations, but you knew in advance what today was going to hold. And I pray, God, again this evening that you would take the words that I trust and believe you've given me to say tonight and minister to our hearts and minds. Lord, we are in, we are in such a, a pivotal time. It's pivotal in the sense that, as, as we've heard from many voices now, that this is some of the greatest days of the church because you're about to do some of the greatest works in us and through us you've ever done. And, 
And all of that is exciting and all of that is something to look forward to. But we got to remember that in the midst of that, there is an enemy who is not sitting by idly waiting and watching us to experience all of that, but he's doing everything he can to hinder the church and to, to hinder and pick off individuals. He's trying to find ways, God, as, as you have impressed upon me to share, minister, and teach numerous times over the last several months. He is a master of deception. He's a master of trickery. He is, he is sly. He is scheming, and he worms his way in so many times in ways that we can easily overlook. Help us tonight, God. I pray for every person that's that's been learning more and more how to speak the language of, of the mixed multitude and become more and more comfortable with that language that you would let there be a, a stirring and a reviving in their hearts and minds and spirits. God, that we wouldn't try to figure out a way to live on the fringe, live on the perimeter and still be saved, but we would be absolutely, completely sold out to you giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining online this evening, and hopefully we'll get to see you this week.